0: All right, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Cena, and I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. And in this episode, is probably my youngest ever guest, which is pretty crazy, because um, I've had some pretty young guests before. But yeah, this is probably the youngest guest I've got um, so far. So in this episode, I spoke with Jack Rosenthal, a teenager who created one of the largest teen investing clubs in the world, worth over $120,000 in assets. And yeah, massively interesting hearing about his story. Before I go on to to you know talk about what we cover in the episode, I do want to stress that this is this is not financial advice. None of the things that we talk about in this in this episode is financial advice. None, neither of us are financial advisors. Um, so please don't take it as financial advice or any like that, of that stuff. None of us really know what we're talking about. So yeah, just take it with a pinch of salt, obviously. But yeah, we cover why Jack started the club, focusing on educating teenagers on the art of investing and also how Jack has written two books on teen investing and teen entrepreneurship and how he outlines the way that you can self-publish your very own book through Amazon. That's the route that he took. And yeah, he outlines the strategies and methods that you yourself can, you know, a lot of people are interested in writing books so with amazon you can very much like yeah you, just, you just self-publish your own book it's pretty pretty cool so yeah he outlines how that how the whole process works so massively you know amazing episode but that brings me to this week's shout out so in case you don't know every week i'm giving a shout out to someone who's left a written review on apple Podcasts as a way of saying thank you because yeah the, the reviews have been coming in thick and fast and they've been massively, massively, you know, motivational for me to carry on. And just really nice to hear that you guys are enjoying the podcast as always. So in this episode, the shout out goes to Kieran Aroki, who says Cena has a great take on the entrepreneurial journey. Love the show and Cena's storytelling. He makes every guest so relatable as well as impressive. Always excited to see new episodes when they are live. Thank you so much for that review. Um, sounds like that you're really enjoying them on on YouTube. If you're, I mean, I don't know, probably, as you said, see. So, yeah, in case you don't know, every episode is also on YouTube now, the full video episode. So, in, in case you don't want to like listen to it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, you know, wherever you listen to all the audio, you can watch the full, you know, video on YouTube as well. That, that link will be down below in the description. And subscribe while you're there, of course. <laughs> That's it from me. So, enjoy the episode. Hey, Jack. How are you doing?
1: Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me on.
0: No, my absolute pleasure. And um, you're really kind of pushing the boundary here because I don't think I've had many people, you know, teenagers on the podcast before. Obviously, like when I started this podcast, it was very much geared towards young entrepreneurs. And so I'm really glad to have people like young entrepreneurs like yourself wanting to come on the podcast. It's really nice. Um, but I just never really know knew like how young it would it would go to. Uh so it's really nice to see like, yeah, teenagers wanting to come on the podcast and teenagers finding value from the podcast. It's really nice. Um I'm trying to think if I've had a, a guest younger than you. I'm, I'm of, guess yet. I have to be. i i I think it's between you and actually guest number one that is going a long way back. Uh he just went to like university or college. So same as you. I don't know, maybe it's like a few months difference. Who knows? uh Ayush if anyone wants to check that episode out. That's a real throwback on. Um, but yeah, so so really nice to have you on. And like you've written like a couple books as well. It's pretty mental, like within the space of, well, I don't know, you've literally just turned 18 or whatever. So it's
1: like it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote some books. I done some stuff with the investing club, which we'll talk about later. But I guess yeah, just delving into my more most recent project, the Teen Investing books. So I wrote this book, Teen Investing by Jack Rosenthal on Amazon. And yeah, the book is a really cool project. It came out of a previous club that I was involved in, where I was really involved in teaching other teenagers how to invest in the stock market. So after running that club for several years and running it successfully, I wrote a book to educate other teenagers about how to invest in the US stock market primarily. Um, and yeah, just kind of going over all my investing teachings, what I personally do when I'm investing and just kind of the book that I wish I had. If I was a teenager just getting started in investing, so I put that book up on Amazon, self-published it, and uh, since then the book has done really well, and it's actually become the number two best-selling book for teen investing on Amazon, which I'm really uh, proud of.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. So let's—I think let's 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 go back to where it all began before you st- before you re- wrote those books, before, like where you actually got the idea for it. So you started a club, right? Like a club for other teenagers who wanted to invest their money uh into stocks into just basically to make a return for the future i know how like how important investing is actually before we go on it's just important to say like none of what i say or what jack says is financial advice uh obviously like this is all for like entertainment purposes we're just talking about books talking about finance talking about investing but yeah none of it's financial advice
1: um yeah so how did it get started with the club so we started with the club my freshman year of high school so that's when i was 14 years old for everyone who's foreign and doesn't know the US system. Um, So I was 14 years old and I started something called the Young Investors Club. Basically what I did is I convinced the okay, you have to put $1,000 in to join and that's going to be your investment in the group portfolio. So everybody invests $1,000 and then we split the money according to what proportion of the money you invested. So say there was $20,000 in the pot, each person put in $1,000, 20 people, each person owns 5% of the investment portfolio and then we run the investment portfolio together. So my freshman year, I decided to start this project. Um, The way that it worked is I didn't want to go through my school because I knew if the school was involved, there'd be all kinds of problems. Anytime there's real money involved, especially tens of thousands of dollars, the school likes to regulate it heavily and I knew that caused a lot of problems. So I went totally outside of my school and um, I couldn't just go to my friends because I didn't have 20 friends that could all invest $1,000 in the stock market at 14. So what I instead decided to do was partner with a larger parent organization. So this parent organization had members all up and down the East Coast. And after six months of going through decision makers and uh, basically going up the ladder, so starting with one person, going to their boss, and their boss, their boss, and scheduling phone calls and coordinating via email, we finally got approval from the guy who was in charge of sending out blast emails to all the members, and finally got approved to be on their platform. So. We, uh, we sent out initials, initial email that year, freshman year. We got actually 20 members to sign up. Everyone put in $1, so it was a $1,000. So it's a $20,000 investment portfolio. Um, and then by the time junior year came around, it was up to 40 members and $40,000 in the investment portfolio. And at the end of that year, the middle of that year, I was like, you know what? I have something cool here. I have about 40 members But I want to take this to be the biggest and the best. So I was like, I want to grow this to over a hundred thousand that year. And I went very heavily recruiting mode. We sent out hundreds of emails. I made hundreds of phone calls, um, tons of of different recruiting efforts. And by the end of that year, we had close to a hundred members and over $120,000 in assets, which made us the largest that I'm aware of teen investing club in the country, if not the world in terms of real assets that we manage. Um, so I ran that club and then by the time senior year came around, I passed that club off to another high schooler to run because I always wanted to be run by a high schooler. I went off to college. The other high schooler kept running the club and did a great job with it. I like, I like to joke sometimes, sometimes he's better at running the club than I was because I was really good at recruiting members to join the club, but, and I was a good operator, but I wasn't like the best operator there could be. He was a really good operator. So it was, kind of was a great, um, team effort. And, uh, and then after running that club, I wrote the book because I really learned how to teach other teenagers how to invest. And that's how I wrote the book.
0: That's really cool. So when you, when you kind of got that group together, the initial group, like how, like how what sort of stuff were like, how did you recruit people basically? Like, I know it's quite difficult to recruit the early members, the early adopters. So like, how did the whole process come about?
1: Yeah. So we sent out by sending out emails to members of the larger parent network. Um, so they'd have thousands of members and we send out blast emails to the parents and then say hey this is a club is your kid interested in joining contact jack and then uh and then people would contact me and i'd usually get like two or three or five different emails every day of new people interested in joining the club which is really cool And i remember i remember back then i made like the mistake of sending my personal email when i should have like set up a different email just for this every single day my phone would just blow up with just emails and responses to previous emails and then phone calls and it was just getting too much so i had to uh, had to create a separate email just for the club
0: so then like yeah but what, what sort of stuff were the sales tactics like how did you get people on board because obviously they are literally giving money to you like or, or the group or like well, how we want to do it so like yeah how
1: so first of all when they invest thousand dollars it's not giving it to me it's like they still own that thousand so dollars they can take it out of the club in fact a lot of members Started in freshman year and then senior year, they pulled out their $1,000 with more money. So it was like an earned, let's say, an extra $300 between freshman and senior year. So they got $1,000 back plus $300. So it was really more of an investment. Um, So so as far as convincing them to put in the money, well, it was a few different reasons. One, you get to invest alongside other teenagers. So hopefully the group wisdom will teach you about investing uh, for yourself, especially if you're a novice. Number one. Number two, it allows you to join a network of other teen uh, teen investors that are interested in investing. So you gain access to that network. And number three, we provide like a lot of great education. Like we'd have guest speakers come occasionally on calls and teach them about their own specific areas. So if a guy was like a bond expert, we'd have him teach about bonds or if they were, you know, a trading expert, teach about trading. So those were all the benefits to being a member of the club.
0: That's really interesting. So I think it'd be really cool to actually talk about the investment side. So obviously like you had But if anything, it was more like a, I guess, just to teach them like the way of investing, I guess, like more educational from, you know, organizing all these different people. And obviously they're dipping dipping their toe in the water of, I guess, investing, which is, which I think should be taught a lot more to young people because a lot of young people don't really know. And like, we've had people on the podcast before, you know, um, this guy called Mr. Money Jar, Timmy. Uh, he was on the podcast before talks about investing and just like personal finance in general and that's a big struggle for a lot of young people is that they don't really know they don't have the tools they don't really know like where to go like there's a lot of misinformation out there which is even more dangerous that I really like I feel for a lot of young people who fall for stuff like that because I know like young people don't have like tons of money so that, that that's quite annoying when I see stuff like that but yeah so I think like, what you what you did there but around the educational a- aspects like really really important um like even if i guess like they didn't make that much money it's not about it's more it's more the educational side would you say
1: Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, $1,000, you can only return earn so much return on that. So yeah, mm. that's not much for the money. But yeah, the education of being around other teenagers that are all investing, that was what the real value of the club was.
0: So I think what's really important, like, what I'd love to get onto now is, I guess, like some teenagers that are, are listening, but not even teenagers, like early adults, early, early 20s, or even like 30s, how would you kind of approach the concept of investing as a first time investor? Because it's it's kind of like a like people don't know a lot. That's what that's what we just talked about, right? Like it is a difficult area to get into. There's so much information online. A lot of it isn't true. A lot of it is just like these these get rich quick schemes that are just like false. People people are deterred by the fact that there is a risk element involved. So yeah, how would you kind of start as as a young, you know, investor in the market?
1: Yeah. So a few things. Um I'd say for the majority of investors. I would say what you should do is decide which market you want to invest in. So if you want to invest in the UK market or US market, or you know, you're know you in a different country and you want to invest in that market. But like let's say for me, I want to invest in the United States market. Okay. Um, for the majority of investors, you shouldn't choose just like a few stocks and just watch those stocks. What you should instead do is invest in an index fund, which are really great investing vehicles. They charge very low fees. So as opposed to Previous kind of older funds that existed, which would charge like something crazy, like a two in 20 fee, which is extremely high. That means 2% of the money you give them, they charge every single year, plus 20% of the return they give you. So that, that'll cut a huge portion out of your profits. Instead, invest in these index funds, which charge 0.2 or 0.1 or 0.05% of your assets. So instead of $1,000 and they charge you $10, this one's charging you, you know, 50 cents, you know, sometimes as low as that. So it could really. It, it really, um, it's a really more cost-effective way to invest. So invest in the index funds, and then as far as which one, I would say if you're the majority investor, should put all their money in the SP 500 and just wait, not not touch it, just hold off and just let your money ride. Especially if you're younger like me, and you have a long time horizon to invest, and you don't need the money tomorrow or next year. Put it all on the SP 500, that means you're just making a bet that the top 500 US companies are going to continue to perform and continue to grow, which I'd say is a very strong bet. And I mean, you know, I was going to, it makes way more sense to put your money there as opposed to leaving it in the bank because inflation will eat away your money at about 2% a year. So 2% of your money is being basically devalued every single year as opposed to putting in the SP 500, which has produced a return of 8 to 10% every year for the last 50 years. Um, and you don't have to do anything, you know, you don't have to like trade stock. You don't Have to do a lot of complicated equations or anything like that. So majority of investors put all your money in the S&P 500. That's what I'd say.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd actually fully agree with you. And just quickly on the fees element, like I have a I have a link in my bio, like this, this new this this trading app that I really use. I love it. I always put my money in s and 500 with that trading app called Free Trade uh, in the UK. It's like it's basically the, the UK version of Robinhood in the US. Um, but yeah, if like if anyone wants a free stock using my link, it's in the it's in the bio description below. Um, it's the one that I use the most because it's like zero fees, and I put my money in the SP 500 there, um, pretty much like every month, and I just add to it regardless of the price, regardless of like what the market's doing. I just put a set amount in it every month, and I just yeah just let it be like just let it chill there because it, it as you said like it will probably well like warren buffett said himself like the s&p 500 will outperform a lot of a lot of professional investors um over over like a set time time horizon so and that's not even factoring in the time and the efforts and the stress that you're putting yourself under if you trade individual stocks s&p 500 tracks like the top 500 companies and it's like it's pretty easy to make a return on like and it's obviously this isn't financial advice, but like give, on the, on the data within the last like 10 over, over like 10 year or 20 year horizon, it always has made a positive return. Like it just always has. Yeah. If you look back at so, the like, 10 year yeah. period, it
1: always, always performed strongly.
0: Yeah. So I completely, I completely agree with you on that advice. Um, but I guess if you're, if you are young and you you start making like an income, uh, just from like a job or whatever, like entrepreneurship, if you make your own income or whatever it is. Like, do you think like setting some aside for like more risky assets, like it's worth? It's
1: well, worth I doing? think then we talked about the conversation of cryptocurrency, um, which I think you can't talk about investing without talking about cryptocurrency nowadays. And yeah, I have seen a lot of young people start to invest some of their money in some of these more riskier crypto assets now within the crypto world. Now, before I say, sorry, I'm not an expert in cryptocurrency. I have some cryptocurrency, but I'm not an expert at it. But to my understanding, within the crypto world, there's like the blue chip stocks, which is like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then there's the lot more risky ones, which are a lot more volatile and I would recommend staying away from. Um, but as far as, as far as Bitcoin and Ethereum, so I personally own some Ethereum. I got a really strong return on that. I bought it at 1700 it just passed 3000 So although I bought in much later compared to most people, I still made a strong return on it. Um, so I think that that is a really strong currency, and I think it's going to continue to perform for the future. I'd say the reason why, a few reasons. Uh, one, because of inflation, which is the general dollar and other currencies, European currencies, are kind of eroding in value each year. So people are looking for alternative ways to store their money. Number one, number two, I think that Gen Z um, is going to only continue to gain wealth. Right? It makes sense. Like, okay, Gen Z and millennials—they don't—they only have X portion of the world's wealth right now. But as they get older, presumably they're going to have more money just because they're going to earn more money, and other generations aren't going to have as much. So I'd say as Gen Z and millennials have more money. They're going to continue to put more of their money in cryptocurrency just because they understand it so much better than you know a boomer or like an 80-year-old ever could. I mean, I know the majority of 80-year-olds I don't think would ever touch a cryptocurrency asset in their life. You know, even if it was the best deal ever, they would never touch my grandfather I'm thinking of. You know, he thinks of it as burning money. He's like, I would not invest $1 into that thing. It's like the same thing for him as throwing a dollar in the trash can. Um, but a lot of millennials and Gen Z who've been around online currency their entire life, who they're used to the fact they just look at their phone for their bank account balance. That didn't exist, you know, uh, 100 or 50 years ago when they have to actually go to the bank and, you know, get a receipt and touch the real money. Um, So I think Gen Z is a lot more used to this kind of digital money, and I think that there's not a very big difference between digital dollars and digital uh, cryptocurrency. So that's the second reason. And the third reason is I think it'll be a great replacement for gold. A lot of people just hold their money in gold as a hedge against currency, Um, not so much for the gold value now. A lot of the investors just put it as a hedge. And I think that a lot of those investors will start to shift from investing in gold, which has a $7 trillion market cap, to investing in cryptocurrency, which I think Bitcoin has a $1 trillion market cap and all of cryptocurrency has a $2 trillion market cap. So I think that's only going to continue to shift more into crypto and then go further beyond that. So those are the reasons why I like cryptocurrency.
0: I could talk about crypto for a long time because I've do. I've held crypto since 2017. Like Ethereum, I was my first one. Well, I believe in Ethereum way more than I believe in Same. Bitcoin personally. Yeah. Um, I think everybody does that like price going through the roof right now. But like, like even further, like, yeah, 2017, I, I bought like my first Ethereum. Uh, back then it was like not as valuable as it's now created. Like it's gone up a lot. Uh, another one is Ripple that I really believe in. Um, Bitcoin, I feel like might go out of the spotlight soon because, because like before it was really valuable where you could convert that into buying other, like alt currencies other like other cryptos whereas now you can buy other cryptos with like you don't have to convert it to bitcoin first you can convert it into other things so i don't know whether bitcoin will st- like because obviously like the first cryptocurrency might not be the 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 leader The it might be replaced by something else it yeah. might be ethereum who knows um, but anyway, well, and like this is, isn't a
1: cri- they use Ethereum to trade NFTs. So, in, like, exactly, Ethereum is a lot more used. You know, the gas prices on NFTs are all Ethereum. Ethereum seems to, and like, the guy that bought the $69 million NFT was well, all paid in Ethereum. But so it seems to me like Ethereum is really going to be the much more useful asset of the cryptocurrencies.
0: As you can kind of tell, I'm massively interested in the space of cryptocurrency, but I wanted to move on from that because this isn't the point, it wasn't the point of the episode. So I wanted to move on and talk with Jack about teen investing specifically and actually practically how teenagers should invest or should view investing. Say if you're a teenager or even you know within your early 20s or you know 30s or whatever. If you just want to invest and begin that, the whole journey of investing with only like a few, you know, $1,000 or $2,000, for instance, what's the kind of split that you should do between, say, like traditional investments, such as like bonds or, or stuff like that, whereas more, you know, more risky stuff such as, you know, crypto. So, yeah, I really want to get that split now. And again, this is not financial advice, any of this episode. So, yeah, we we'll talk about that now.
1: Yeah, well, I'd say the most important thing you're starting off with is you only have $2,000. I know what you're going to say, oh, a lot of teenagers don't have that much. Well, so I talk about this in my book, Teen Investing, once again. Um, and the very the most important thing that I say is you need to bank, if you're as your first teenager, as your teenager, you need to bank your first $5,000, which I know at first seems like, okay, that seems like a lot of money for a teenager. But if you really think about it, it's actually very attainable. If you work a summer job for $10 to $15 an hour and you work a few hours a week during the summer, you can easily have a few thousand dollars saved away just by the end of one summer. Not to mention if you work a few summers during your high school years, so you can easily achieve the five thousand. Now you have to be cautious with spending. You can't spend a lot of money. You have to learn money principles to, you know, not the second. You earn three hundred dollars, go spend on an Xbox. You have to learn how to save it. But if you if you decently understand how to save money and you can go out and earn a, earn money from a job, you can easily save your first five thousand so dollars. That'd be the first thing. First you need to get for five. Don't worry about trying to invest one or two it's such a small amount of money that the return on that is just going to be so minimal to your overall life. You need to get to about five first because 5000 the return on that 10%, $500 a year. Okay, that's amount of money that's actually real to teenagers, $40 a month. That's an amount of money that can actually affect someone's life in a small way. So that's the first thing, get to 5000 And then as far as once you have the 5000 then it depends what you want to do. I'd say the majority of teenagers put like 4000 into S&P 500, S&P 500 and maybe a thousand into like their favorite cryptocurrency. That I'd say that's a great plan for like the majority of teenagers out there.
0: Yeah, but there's also like I guess, like, investments in between that. You don't have to go from, like, stocks to crypto. There's, like, investments in between. Yeah,
1: there's all kinds of stocks. But I'd say, like, the majority of teenagers, the S&P 500 makes the most sense because they're not interested in, like, daily trading or anything like that. They just want to leave the money like they would in a bank account and just watch it grow over time.
0: Another one that I've utilized pretty well is is peer-to-peer lending, which was pretty (laughs) healthy up until COVID. Like, basically, you just lend your money to... To small businesses and then which one do you use so or lending club? funding funding circle i don't like i think the uk ones and the u.s ones are probably different but funding circle has been pretty good uh, up until covid like obviously a lot of small businesses defaulted on loans and i still made a positive return don't don't get me wrong however like it wasn't as much as before uh so like once once covid like calms down and people start going to shops and restaurants and stuff and like stuff like that then i'll i'll be going back into that because that provided, say, I think it provided me an eight percent return uh, overall, which isn't bad. Like, and it's monthly, re- it's monthly recurring revenue, like profit. So, yeah, that was pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, I obviously like diversified. That. Yeah, I used to do that too back in the day. I used to do uh, Prosper and Lending Club when I was actually like 10 years old, the way that it worked is my dad lent me some money at a 1% interest rate. He lent me $5,000 at a 1% interest rate. And then I relented out on the peer-to-peer trading platforms for 8%, kind of like what you're saying. And then I kept the 7% spread. So I was making like 250 bucks or something a year off of the difference between the interest I was paying my dad, which is the same thing he's paying the bank. So if he had 5,000 in the bank, he'd be earning 1%. And if he had 5,000, me would earning the same amount. And I was relending it out at eight percent, keeping that spread. So it's funny you mentioned that because I was doing peer-to-peer loans a while ago too.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. It's it's a reliable one. Also, like it's you don't earn massive amounts. Don't get me wrong, but it's like it's it's a good way to diversify your investments around different different areas of of the economy. Um, so it's good. I, I I believe in that. I think it's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, I'd love to move on to your newest book. So so teen teen entrepreneur, right?
1: Yep, teen entrepreneurship. So how
0: did, how did you get around to writing that?
1: So that I wrote while I was in college. I don't have a copy of the book with me, so I can't show you. But it's uh, Teen Entrepreneurship on Amazon by Jack Rosenthal. And yeah, so I got into that because I, in addition to being an investor, I've been an entrepreneur. For a long period of time, and within college, you know, I was just I was basically bored for a couple of weeks. I was like, "Hey, let me let me knock out another book." So uh, within a month and a half, I went from starting to finishing a whole nother book, uh, and and I knew a lot more about the process this time because I already written a previous book, so I knew a lot more about the self publishing process and what to expect. Um, but yeah, within a month and a half, I went from having the idea to write the book to finishing a completed version of the book.
0: Let's talk about that self-publishing, I guess, aspect for a second because I think that's I think that like I've had I've had people on the podcast before that have they've been they have had like books out. One of them has has also released a book self-published very recently. Um
1: how does the whole process come about? Like how does how does that work? I guess I'll walk you through it in a couple steps. Um first off, you got to write the book, most important step. Uh, you know, you got to spend a lot of time getting a lot of the- you know, word count necessary. Typically, books have between twenty and a hundred thousand words. I was told is the average. So you gotta you gotta write the book first. Once you wrote the book, then you can go, go to Amazon. It's called Amazon KDP and Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing. And you uh, you fill out all the information for the book title. You know, upload the book, design a cover. I went on a website called Fiverr. I'm sure you've heard of it to design a cover. I paid someone like. Very minimal amount of money compared to what you'd pay uh, like a big publishing company. big publishing company would charge thousands of dollars in design fees. I paid someone like a 100 bucks to design the cover. Um, So cover designed, create the book or upload the book, then launch it on Amazon, set the price, and then you launch it on Amazon. So now you have the listing up on Amazon. Now the most important question, that's step one, write the book. Step two, list on Amazon. Step three, sales. So how do you get the sales? That's the most important aspect to this. So with the sales, that's a lot more of a tricky piece. Um, generally, what you want to do is promote it on social media. So, I mean, I post it on my own personal Instagram, but that's just like my personal friends and family, so that's not like a big network of people. A lot of what you do is, well, you go on podcasts like this one. That's one thing. Um, another thing you do is try and, try and build up a little bit of your own social media following on other platforms, like try and build out a YouTube channel to promote it or something like that. Uh, go around to local bookstores and try and get it in those bookstores. That's what I did. You know, I drove around one Saturday and went to all the local bookstores. I offered to put it in there. What else did I do? I did a whole bunch of stuff.
0: Well, and did the, did some of the local bookstores like buy your yep. book to stock in their stock in their
1: store? Yep. On uh, what's it called? Direct on on site, they bought the book. Uh, so I bought a couple copies of it. I'm like, hey, you guys want some? You know. But I learned a little bit about sales. Uh, previous to this, I knew a little bit about sales, so I knew kind of little more about how to pitch it to them, and uh, that was actually rare. A lot of books don't buy book. A lot of bookstores don't buy books like directly. They buy them on consignment from local authors. So, in other words, they'll only pay you if they sell. But I convinced a few of them just to buy them directly from me. Um, so I got some book sales from that. You know, it's also about you know, you call up some, I'd say friends that might you know have a lot of, in my case, uh, teenagers or you know young people, and say, hey, you guys want. 10 copies or hey you know you go to some kind of event bring 20 copies with you anyway that's pretty much how you sell
0: i knew a little bit about this but not too much so you can literally just go to amazon the website that you said and publish your your writing as like a word document or whatever and there you go like it's already done you can just order on amazon and it's to your house
1: yep correct and amazon will do all the printing and shipping they've made it
0: really easy they made it scary like dangerously easy
1: that's why anybody can write a book these days it's really it's more about the marketing, i'd say
0: yeah and how how's the how the two books done like uh, i guess i know know that like teen investing book you've done you wrote you wrote that a couple years ago now and then the new book that you have now like you must have learned a lot about like writing books publishing books
1: yeah teen investing teen investing i wrote the end of 2019 so december 2019 so it's been out over a year now um Learned a lot about just the sales process. It's cool to you know, check Amazon sales every day and watch the sales come in. That That's really cool for me. Uh, and what's so cool is it's like a passive source of income. So like, you know, this podcast I'm doing right now, people will be listening to this for, for weeks now without me even having to sell anything or do anything to anyone. Um, and, and nevertheless on Amazon every single day, you know, we get book sales coming in, so I don't have to do anything. It's just like a total passive source of income and Amazon sends the money to you. So that was a really cool thing that I discovered. I was like, wow, you can like actually make another income source off selling these books. So did that. Um, well, sorry, what was your question again?
0: Well, how, how, like how many have been sold and stuff like, oh, like how many countries have gone to Oh, like, like, gone to,
1: like every country across the world. Um, Sales we sold thousands. I don't know exactly how many books we sold the in teen investing, but we sold thousands of books. Um, the teen entrepreneurship one just came out more recently. Now for this one, it's a little harder because once you launch two books, it like Amazon doesn't tell you which sales from which book, and they're both the same price, so I, I can't tell which sales come from which books anymore. But this month is a really strong month in terms of total sales, so I'm guessing a lot of that's come from the teen entrepreneurship book that I listed on Amazon like a month ago. Um, so yeah, so the teen entrepreneurship books off to a good start and the, uh, the teen investing one continues to, continues to do really well. Interesting stuff about book sales. This is, you know, this is just what you learn through becoming an author. Q4 is actually the best quarter for book sales. That's when you sell the most amount of books. I don't I think it's because it's around the holiday time. So people are buying books as presents for other people. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that month, I think we sold like December or the month before that, I think we sold like, more books than we sold like in the past, like three months combined all in one month.
0: That's pretty crazy. I didn't, I didn't know like Christmas had that sort of power. Um, It's pretty mental. Anyways, like I think, I think when I wrap it up there, thank you so much, Jack for, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story, like still crazy young. So you're still pretty much at the beginning of your story. Um, But it's good to get a glimpse into like how you actually self publish and like how, how you can invest as a teenager Obviously, once again, this is not a financial advice. Neither of us are financial advisors. This is just for entertainment purposes. But yeah, it was so good having you on. Thank you so much for coming on the, the podcast, Jack.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Everybody, if you want to go check out my book, it's Teen Investing on Amazon by Jack Rosenthal. So go get yourself a copy or the other one's Teen Entrepreneurship. Anyway, yeah, really appreciate you having me on. And uh, oh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, follow me at starsocial.pro
0: sweet thank you so much jack and uh yeah we'll uh we'll speak soon thanks have a good one thank you for listening to this episode of the millennial entrepreneur thank you so much for staying to the very end of the episode it means so much to me that you listen to the very end it really does if you did enjoy please be sure to leave a five-star written review on apple Podcasts. if you're on iphone of course and i'll give you a shout out in the next episode as a thank you because yeah just want to share the love it's very good um, if you're an android though or if you're an iphone you can you can always subscribe to us uh, on youtube that's where all the all the video episodes are and leave a comment on the recent video and i'll give you a shout out anyway as a thank you so yeah once again thank you so much for the very end and i'll see you in the next episode